Good morning, good morning. My name is Andrea Simintov, and you're listening to Pull Up a Chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. I don't know if you noticed that I have been away for quite a while, but I noticed that we haven't been together, and um, it's weighed heavily, weighed heavily, so much going on, a little bit I'll share, and... Um, but before, let's have our romper room music, romper music, romper room magic. And let me say good evening, good night to our friends in the United States listening in. It's going to be another hot one. The UK is with us this morning. Jamaica is listening in. Our beloved and reliable Canada. Nigeria is with us. Germany and South Africa. I still feel like I'm in South Africa. I have been in South Africa for, oh my goodness, the last few weeks. And um, I'm very, very happy to be home. Um, last week, we were really just, I don't know about the rest of you, but I still feel the dust. Baruch Hashem. I mean, I think it's a good thing to still feel the dust the um, hint of Tisha B'Av still lying on our shoulders, enveloping us, even as we wend our way towards the second half of the summer season and work our way towards the high holy days. But if Tisha B'Av, which I missed spending together with you and doing a Tisha B'Av show, if it's so easy to dismiss then we will be certain to have to observe it again next year. So I was thinking about that. I was thinking so much about this station. I was thinking so much about the kind of long reach of all our arms as we try to glean together through this incredible medium a little bit of communal holiness, communal understanding. And... Um, I felt that distance, distance from my fellow Jews, distance from all good, kind thinking, kind acting, kind dreaming people in the world. And even feeling that distance, I believe, was a critical lesson. Uh, two weeks in South Africa, attending to some um, serious family business, and um, when we finally landed, I went via Ethiopia. Why don't we have anybody from Ethiopia listening in? I seem to spend a lot of time in Ethiopia. <laughs> People, come on in. There's questions I have for you. But anyway, um, and when we switched planes from South Africa and got onto a new plane in Addis Ababa, I don't know, for some reason they seem to stick all the Israeli travelers in like a far end of the airport. I don't even want to think what that must mean. Uh, I don't think it means anything duplicitous or negative against us, but I think there's a security measure because if you would ever go through Addis Ababa, it really is a hub, an international hub, and you see passing through people that are not really best friends of Israel passing through those hubs. But anyway, they stick us at the end, so we sort of begin that Israel experience together, shoulder to shoulder, sitting, eating our snacks, um, whatever we've brought from wherever we're coming, and kind of 
the Hebrew starts to um, waft throughout the air and people say, where are you coming from? Where are you going from? We're borrowing computer cables from one another. And the Israel begins to enter us. And anybody listening to this, anybody who's been to Israel, anybody who loves this station and loves the people of Israel knows what I'm talking about. We can reach into one another's nefeshot, our souls, even before we land on our beloved tarmac. And what happens is I wasn't even flying El Al. I always thought that this was a uniquely El Al experience, but it's not. I'm flying Ethiopian Air, which I have to say kudos, a really wonderful airline, tripping over themselves to try to make it comfortable for their passengers and um, a very nice experience. I want to know where my all my travel miles are, but that'll be a different issue. But a wonderful, and as we land, just like every El Al flight I've ever been on, everybody on the flight bursts out cheering and clapping. Because to land, I mean, first, it's always a round of applause for a pilot who went to school and learned how to do that thing. But landing in Israel to clap to cheer, to almost blink back the tears. It's not home from the neck up. It's home in our belly. It's home in our hearts. It's home in, in our history. And it's the only home we have in our tomorrows. So I say to everybody, as you're thinking about Israel, as you're praying for Israel, as you're yearning and wanting for Israel. And remember, Israel's success is the world's success. We are not a separate entity. I say for all of us, let's take, let's not take for granted the love of our families, the smells of our homes, the grumbling of our children, the availability of our favorite bread or hummus or shawarma waiting for us. So there's a lot to be grateful for. And boy, oh boy, it's good to be home. All right. Um, just in the news, before we get on to all the other meaty topics that are addressing us today, um, a decision just came down yesterday. All of us remember we remember the Tree of Life synagogue um, that was under siege. Murders took place, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, 11 worshipers, 11 holy Jewish souls were mowed down in prayer. Um, I don't even have the date, but the trial took place. And the murderer, who will remain nameless because we like keeping creeps nameless on the show, was sentenced to death. And Jews have a very big love-hate relationship historically with the death penalty. And yet I did not. I'm certain it's out there, but I have been blessed not to come across um, those who, who, who are standing and protesting against this verdict 
Even the Anti-Defamation League, which sometimes comes out a little bit parv, a little bit shady, a little bit gray, areas of gray and so-so, came out and say, we know that this is a hard day for many, especially in Pittsburgh. We have to protect the Jewish community. And there were many groups that applauded this death sentence. And um, it'll never put it to bed. It will not put to bed for the families that have been decimated by um, one rabid Jew haters angry efforts on a beautiful Sabbath morning. Another thing that jumped out um, at me this morning was, I don't even remember where I saw this, but apparently, and I think this has been confirmed by Reuters, a Russian drone attacked 40,000 tons of Ukrainian grain that was destined for Israel. Uh, it sounds like it was a violent explosion, a violent drone attack. And I don't know how 40,000 tons of grain uh, impacts, A, the Ukrainian economy, but certainly our cost of living here in Israel. And this thing is just not stopping. It's not ending. Um, eight separate strikes an oil terminal had been hit. They're just on fire. And uh, the story continues. Something that I want to throw past you, you know, we're going to get all the politics, the world politics out of the way. But um, as all of you know, and I get a lot of letters asking me my opinion, and it have, I have not come down on this yet. But the whole conversation about the judicial overhaul um, here in Israel is really pitting Jew against Jew, American against Israeli, Orthodox against Reform, secular, Jewish, Sephardic, Ashkenazi, white, black, everybody is going mad and has an opinion. But the Aguda Israel of America, and this is a leading Orthodox umbrella group, I mean, these are the black hat guys, they have admonished U.S. lawmakers for weighing in on the Israeli government's judicial overhaul. And I find this actually fascinating because the Aguda Yisrael really is a very tsanua when it comes to world politics, when it comes to world stage, when it comes to voicing an opinion. They really have always played a very back seat. The secular world and the non-Jewish world has barely heard of them. And the... Um, the Aguja comment is American lawmakers and other gov government officials, while they're entitled to their opinion, should not be seeking to use their positions of power to meddle in the internal affairs of another sovereign de democratic state. Uh, what form, if any, reform in Israel should take is a matter for Israelis to determine through Israel's vibrant democratic process. And the group says it takes no position on the legislation. I find this interesting. Um, we all remember the Elie Wiesel quote that says, we always have to take sides. Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. Silence encourages the tormentor, never the tormented. Interesting stuff to think about. Let's talk more about it on the other side.
We're back. We're back. Andrea Simintov, pull up a chair. IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. It's crazy. You know, since I was away, and um, I so wanted to do that Tisha Buff show, and it was a, a series of unusual mistakes that I wasn't able to. Um, I feel that I'm sort of doing, I'm not trying to bring anybody back into a bleak place, but there were so many things I wanted to share. So I'm going to be skipping some stuff because I realized what do we do best on this show? What do we enjoy so much about one another? And that's the eye on the prize, the eye on tomorrow. So I'm going to skip any more political stuff. Uh, for today. We know that I will go berserk on other days. And let's get to the upbeat stuff, which will bring us into this beautiful, beautiful season. But I do want to read one thing, just one thing, if you will humor me, that I came across, somebody had posted, and it was about an anonymous woman, every woman, the Kilroy of women, the Plony Almoni of women, And this essay, and I don't know who wrote it, and if anybody knows, please write to me, Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. We do on this show want to give credit where credit is due. But until I get that, let me just say anonymous. And it says, if Moshiach comes, this Tisha B'Av, if the Messiah were to come, this Tisha B'Av, and let me read this, it'll say you, You who wake up in the middle of the night to nurse your son. And you who care for your mother in your home. You who continue dating and don't allow despair to destroy you. And you who even on the hardest days goes to work. You who despite everything brought another child into the world. And you who are willing time and time again to attempt another treatment in order to one day hold a baby. You, who got angry today, one time less. And you, who carry your pain in your heart and came to dance at the wedding. You, who saves lives. And you, who pass out candles on the street before Shabbat. You, who are fighting that cursed disease. And you, who rescues and comforts the downtrodden. You, who are torn between home and work and try to do everything as well as possible. And you who gave up the dream in order to devote yourself to your children. You who sit day and night at your daughter's bedside and you who lost your son and manage occasionally to leave the house. You who hear and don't respond and you who reach out for help. You whose husband comes home close to midnight. And you who grew up in a broken home and now are a loving mother. You who dedicate yourself to the needs of the community. And you who drive to the school to bring your son the sandwich he forgot. You who picked up the phone and said what's in your heart. And you who held herself back and didn't. You, who hug and kiss your child with special needs, and you who do not know where your son is, crying, your lips moving in prayer. You, 
whose legs don't lift you, who lifts up her prayers at Rachel's tomb, and you, the great-grandmother who recites her prayers at the Western Wall at sunrise, you, who raise your children alone, and you, who got married again, you, who cleaned up after your son for the fifth time today, and you, who despite everything you saw, held on to your faith. You, who woke up before everyone to pray, and you, who despite your age, made blintzes for your great-grandchildren with so much joy for life. You, who never know exactly how many guests will be coming for the meal. And you, who stopped yourself from eating another piece of chocolate. You, who lie for months in bed to guard your pregnancy. And you, who coach laboring women, even at night and on the Shabbat. You, who encourage your husband. And you, who yesterday remembered the neighbor who lives alone. You, the beautiful one who takes good care of herself. And you, the artist who makes the world more beautiful. You, who even though you felt stressed, smiled at your children. And you, who prepared dough with your own two hands. You, who cleans your home for Passover. And you, who didn't scream, even when you found cake crumbs in the room you'd already cleaned. And you, who left everything behind for the truth. And you, who carry and lift up the women behind you. You, who bring joy to the locked ward. And you, who said you were sorry first. You, who hold a tambourine in your hand and welcome Moshiach. And you, who learn to pour the fundamentals into your home with holiness and joy. You, who know how to make others feel good about themselves. And you, who remember to pat yourself on the back. And also you, who I didn't mention, and nobody will ever write an article about. And nobody knows about you. And perhaps even you aren't aware of your own strengths. There is somebody who is aware. And in your merit, and in the merit of your sisters, he will redeem us. If you know who wrote that, please send it to me. But I think we are all richer for having heard those blessed, blessed words. Okay, um, something I did want to sort of throw out, because I know you listened so carefully, there uh, is a very interesting site, curious to know your thoughts. Uh, let's just see what's going on here. Oh, very good. Curious to know your thoughts. On Facebook, there is a new page know if it's a page if it's a group whatever it's called it's called faces of orthodoxy that's exactly what it is faces of or orthodoxy created by a lovely gal named alex fletcher maybe we'll get to interview her on the show and i've seen a couple of these little videos uh vid i think they're videos and different women i believe it's mostly women 
uh, correct me if I'm wrong, um, who represent Torah observant Judaism. And some of them are very surprising, the kind of women who you would never expect. Orthodox Jewish women, forgive me for that word, I hate the word, not women, Jewish, uh, Orthodox, <laughs> sorry, but um, kind of people, you know, they walk among us, the holiness walks among us. Um, so I just wanted to throw that out. And also, if anybody wants a link, it's going to be posted on the um, the official uh, Israel News Talk Radio page, you know, the page of this week's podcast. I'm going to put up a link to an article of interviews of your plain Israeli in the street, their attitude towards missionaries. And if I may tout my own, blow my own horn, I myself am quoted in that article. Um, it's from vision, uh, visionmag.org, but I will post the link where you can write to me directly, Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. I'll send you a link to the article. And we talk very frequently, not just on the show, but on this station about missionary, missionary activity here in Israel. And it really is a big concern. And you'll get to hear some of my thoughts on it. All right. We're not going to talk about the school, the new school year yet. Let's see. We got so much going on. Oh, yeah. So somebody else also, my good friend um, Afshin, posted something recently and it really did talk to me. You know, he talks about how most of the scars on people's hearts, the ones who do the most damage to us. Do you remember growing up and we all had those parents who said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never harm me and ignore the school bully. Oh, she's just an unhappy girl. Or you don't know that teacher. Maybe that teacher had a bad day or her husband scolded her. You know, those are the kind of things that I was raised on. But you know, most of the scars that are left on people's hearts are, don't come from strangers. It comes from those who, who claim to love us. And this goes for us as well. What kind of scars do we leave on the hearts of others? And, um, you know, Ashin just talks about, he says, you know, we should listen to our guts, listen to our intuition, pay attention to people do not just what they say. And when actions oppose spoken words, when people say, I love you, but they don't act lovingly, it's a person who's most likely not all that trustworthy. And there's a lovely, somebody once said that salt and sugar look the same. Be careful who you trust. You know, be who we are. Let's reach outwards. Wear our love. Wear our availability. But as we say, don't be a friar. The people who scar one another the most are the ones who claim to love each other. Okay, when we come back, we're going to start our Devar Torah section. A uh, lot of Torah. We're going to talk about saying, I'm sorry. Is it necessary? Is it important? Um, what do you think? My name is Andrea Semenchov. Guess what? We'll meet again on the other side. Okay. 
are back, and apparently I think we have Australia and Slovakia have joined us today in the room. Please, friends, share this podcast with your friends, uh, those who are living, living, living live. All right. Now we know the UK has been with us since the opening bars of our very zesty music on Pull Up a Chair. Um, the... The, the the producer of the show reminded me, I was laughing, the engineer this morning reminded me, do you remember that movie Love Story? I mean, that insipid, silly, it was such a, you know, I think at the time it was a groundbreaker, you know, poor girl, rich boy, Cinderella story starring um, Ali McGraw and the late um, O'Neill, Ryan O'Neill, you know, that very handsome handsome guy who nobody in my shul looked like him but anyway and he in the movie he apologizes to her he apologizes to her for his arrogance whatever and she says to him love means never having to say you're sorry who came up with that stupid line there is nothing that is more antithetical to yiddishkeit to judaism and indeed to healthy relationships um i'm sorry is a wonderful thing to say it's so kind and i was reminded i came across a lovely article it's very hold on a moment here you're going to hear little beeps on and off in the studio today because um we're playing with (laughs) playing with the air conditioning you should know outside the studio window they are doing construction for all of you that are praying for the building up of Jerusalem, your prayers are being answered. Yes, you have to keep it up, but most of these prayers are being answered outside of my window with trucks being, uh, <laughs> with, with, with derricks and diggers and sanitation trucks hauling and bringing in bricks and buildings. So thank you. Keep those prayers coming and pat yourselves on the back. So we're shutting the window or else we couldn't even have a show. But I came across a lovely article by Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg. He writes very frequently on com. but I know of Rabbi Goldberg because he is a shul. He's a very popular rabbi, I believe, in Boca Raton, Florida. And my brother-in-law actually is his rub in Florida. And I was laughing. I came across an article and I'm going to kind of paraphrase because it happened to me that Rabbi Goldberg brings up about what very often happens to those of us who keep kosher, who follow a kosher diet. And especially with the cheaper airfares today, you're not talking to an airline desk. You're going through, you know... (laughs) Bob's Fly and Fool and Fuel, uh, you know, hamburgers and airflight.com. So you're not going through the regular airline travels. A lot of people are eschewing using travel agents. And I can only imagine, I'd love to hear from travel agents to hear what the ability to book your tickets by yourself online with these cheaper services is doing to their industry. So having said that, I booked my trip to South Africa on a very... (laughs) very frugal site, <laughs> you know, that was selling like, um, you know, personalized drinking cups along with the airfare. But anyway, it's very hard to maneuver getting your kosher meal. And these are long flights. I'm flying two stopovers, have to eat something along the way. And I know also for those who observe a vegan diet, we'll talk about that on the next show. But anyway, the vegan diets, the gluten-free 
Um, on my way to South Africa, I was sitting with a Muslim couple who received, I didn't know, I mean, I really should have understood that you have these halal meals. I mean, all of us, I think I told you when I was in South Africa, I was obviously the only kosher Jew on the plane. Everybody else was Muslims. And the stewardess came running down the aisle with this cardboard box in her hand, screaming, kosher meal, kosher meal. It was unusual. Anyway, they have these meals. It's very hard to order them sometimes through these um, less refined websites. So um, Rabbi Goldberg reminded me, because I know that it's happened to me where I'm waiting. I don't have anything, especially if I'm in an international airport. I can't even pick up a candy bar because they don't have the regular signs of the supervising kosher agencies. So I come on these planes with absolutely nothing, knowing at least I'll get some rice. I'll get a thing of hummus and a piece of bread, something to eat only to hear, well, we don't have you on the list. We don't have a kosher meal for you. Um, how about I bring you a vegetarian meal? How about I bring you a regular meal and you pick out what you want? And it's not the non-Jewish staff's job to understand the laws of keeping kosher, but these are terrible experiences. And sometimes, you know, you really can get angry. You, your, your mood goes all over the place and, um, it can be very, very ugly. And so Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg is talking about this one time where the stewardess said, and the same thing happened to me. She said, sorry. And I know in my case, another uh, air steward came to me and said, can we bring you some fruit? And it was very nice because obviously they had an understanding. But when they sit and say, sorry, too bad, without any other attention to you, it's very, very upsetting. And in Rabbi Goldberg's case however he illustrates how this um the the steward came to him and she said to him i apologize i deeply apologize somebody was gluten-free and accidentally we gave them your kosher meal which right there is a lawsuit in the making uh if you ask me and the gluten-free meal was available for the rabbi, which of course wasn't suitable, but she said it was entirely their fault. They took responsibility and they said that she's going to try to cobble together some kosher products from other meals so that the rabbi would have something to eat. And it reminded me of how suddenly somehow when somebody says, I'm sorry, you have that ability to relax Unless you're just one of these aggressive people who wants to keep the fight going. Somehow being acknowledged, counting, knowing that the things that are important to me are important to you. And whatever we talk about on this show, especially in this Devar Torah portion, you know, it gives all of us an opportunity to hear other people's experiences, but to think, how can we apply it to real life situations that we have? Um, you know, a lot of the times we can actually afford to skip a meal. It's not the end of the day, but the idea of being heard and he, um, you know, he talks about how most people just want to hear something, hear someone take responsibility, offer a sincere apology. And there was a recent study in the journal of patient safety and risk management. Any of you? 
subscribe to that magazine. I don't have it on my shelf. But it found that hospital staff and doctors who are willing to discuss, to apologize for, and to resolve adverse medical events through what they call in a quote, collaborative communication resolution program experienced a significant decrease in the filing of legal claims, defense costs, liability costs, time required to close cases. I remember years ago, I was misdiagnosed with broken ribs. I, I, I had broken ribs, but I actually had pertussis, whooping cough, which at the time, I guess it was 1986, we thought had been eradicated through the vaccine. And only later did I hear we only eradicate it in the pediatric population by, by, by inoculi- inoculating the adults. Anyway, talk to me about my file in the New York, New York State Department of Epidemiology. But I remember I called the doctor who misdiagnosed me, not because I wanted to sue him, not because I wanted to scold him. I wanted to tell him what I had learned, that he was correct in misdiagnosing me because it was so hard to diagnose. He kept telling me it was bronchitis because it looks like bronchitis. And I thought that this would be interesting for him. But my rage grew because with each phone call, I was ignored, I was hung up on, I was dismissed, and I received a threatening letter. And I kept scratching my head saying, I don't understand. What is this rage? I wanted to share the mistake. I wanted to hear him say, I'm sorry. How are you? But it didn't happen. Last year on one of those feel good, you know, this feel good uh, uh, posts that people use social media for. A woman named Lauren tweeted the following, and I remember seeing this tweet, and I'm grateful that Rabbi Goldberg posted it. And what did she say? She said, quote, this is Lauren. We don't have her last name. Hopefully she's a listener to this show. Sure she is. She wrote, quote, just read something about replacing I'm sorry with thank you. So instead of saying, sorry, I was late, say, thank you for waiting for me. Replacing negativity with positivity and gratitude. And that breaks the cycle, that I'm sorry cycle. Powerful. Close quote. The tweet went viral with close to 800,000 people loving that tweet and 230,000 retweeting it. It resonated with people. But that's not really a good sign. It's a misguided sentiment. Taking responsibility and apologizing are not about positivity and negativity. Wokeism. They're not about avoiding feeling bad. What is an apology? An apology is taking responsibility regardless of how it makes us feel. You know, we're in August already and we all know what September brings. This is a good time to be talking about it. In the Shulchan Aruch, uh, it's a code the book, code of Jewish law. Most Jewish homes, observant Jewish homes, have it on their shelves. It tells us that if we have hurt or injured someone, somehow 
we have acted badly. Somehow we have spoke cruelly. We must take responsibility and apologize. If we aren't forgiven at first, we have to come back again. And even a third time, no matter how negative, no matter how hard it is, how terrible it makes us feel, how it brings the shame back to the surface again and again. And this law doesn't just apply for the days of awe. It's all year long, whether we've hurt someone intentionally or accidentally. Actually heard a personal family story from this past week of a cousin who apologized to a very dear relative. And this cousin had really laid into this relative um, years ago. And they ran into each other at a family simcha. In so many cases, the originally angry relative could have kept it going, walked away, or embarrassed at her outburst and just pretended it didn't happen and instead made a point of going over to her elderly relative and saying, I am so sorry. I was in a terrible place, but there is no excusing that. I hurt you. I apologize. You know, research uh, published in what is called the Journal of Negotiation and Conflict Management Research, another another one that I haven't subscribed to, but it found that there are six elements to an effective apology, but the most important component is acknowledgement of responsibility. Thank you for waiting. That's not really the same as, I'm sorry I was late. I kept you waiting. I wasted your precious time. God didn't punish Adam and Eve when they made the mistake of eating from the Eitz Hadat, the tree of knowledge. He held them accountable. After he called out, where are you? They failed to use that opportunity to say, we messed up. We're here. It was us. Now, interesting, in contrast, um, according to, I'm bringing this down, of course, from Rabbi Goldberg, brings down that Rabbi Chaim Shmulevitz um, points out that Yehuda, remember Yehuda? He was awarded with the monarchy, with, with, with the kingship, specifically because when he was challenged, remember the story, the side of the road? having relations with his daughter-in-law, his widowed daughter-in-law, Tamar, he took responsibility for his transgression. He had every opportunity to say, she's a liar. I never was there. But he had said instead, quote, I admit that she is more righteous than I Notice Yehuda doesn't say, thank you, Tamar, for letting me falsely accuse you, shame you, almost cost you your life. Leadership, it demands a willingness to say, she was right. I was wrong. I am responsible. In this week's Parsha, Akev, you know, we didn't meet last week, but I know all of you read the Parsha because you're such a lofty crowd. But um, it, begun, it begins this second discourse of our teacher, Moshe. 
The Torah describes how Am Yisrael, the people of Israel, will vanquish, will obliterate the inhabitants of the land that they are on the verge of entering. Moshe tells them not to be afraid of the numerically stronger foe, reminding them all everything that God has done for them in the preceding 40 years and how God will continue to aid them in this upcoming battle. Moshe, he scolds them, however, not to fall into that trap of thinking that God is doing all of this on their behalf because for some reason, they're so lofty, they're so righteous. Mm-mm-mm. It's a fulfillment of promises made to our patriarchs, Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, that their descendants will inherit the land. Think about that for a moment. Moshe, what does he do? He then proceeds to remind them of all of their transgressions and how it was only due to his intervention, Moshe's intervention, of course, with Hashem after the incident of the golden calf, the Egel Hazahav, that prevented them from being destroyed in the merit of our forefathers. That alone was enough to bring the people into Eretz Yisrael, despite our most heinous shortcomings and continual transgressions. Oy we, the stiff-necked people, do we ever learn? But it's insignificant itself. Sorry, I mean it's insufficient. It's not enough to ensure prosperity and possession of the land. You know, it brings us to the crux of this week's Torah portion. Moshe now is going to inform the people exactly what it is that Hashem is asking of them in order to continue receiving the blessing. Quote, and now Israel, what does God require of you? Ki'im, only this. Li'irah to fear or revere Hashem Elokecha, the Lord your God, to walk in his paths, to love him, and to serve the Lord your God. As we say in Shema, with all your heart and with all your soul, to keep the commandments of God and his chukim, his statutes, which I command you today. There's so much in these two pesukim, these two little sentences that our teacher, Nechama Leibovitch, in her studies in Devarim, she calls the essence of this, this week's Parsha, this week's two sentences, this is the statement of the entire Torah, the essence, the will of God that we can only briefly touch it, some of them. The first thing we see is a reaffirmation, a recommitment of this doctrine of free will. Verse 12, check it out. It's phrased that everything is in God's power except, except that he has given man the freedom to determine his own fate, to choose between right and wrong. In the words of the Rambam, this constitutes a fundamental principle of the Torah. The creator does not force his will on any man, nor preordain him to do good or evil. 
but everything is entrusted to him. So let's take a second. Let's focus now on the term yira, to fear. We turn to the Miyam Loaz who contend that there are two forms of the fear of heaven. I've been asked about this often, okay? The first is the fear that stems from actual fear of punishment of one's sins. And in fact, the Rambam in the Sefer HaMetzvot, the Sefer of the uh, Commandments, sees that this commandment of fear, Yira, as including this element, stating he commanded us to believe in the fear of him. We must fear his punishment at all times. But... Stick with me here. There's another higher level of yira to which we should aspire, however. It's where yira is actually awe and reverence of God's engendered. Um, it, it, well, anyway, we should aspire to this. We should contemplate, not be frightened of God's greatness, but to contemplate it, to intuit it, to compare it to our own insignificance. This knowledge that there's a superior force that controls the world will cause man to refrain from doing evil. That's according to the Abarbanel. By using the phrase ki'im, merely or only this, Moshe implies that both yira, Awe and ahava, love, are states that are really easily achieved. The Gemara explains that for a man of Moshe's stature, this was maybe a, a minor matter. You know, he wasn't the two of us. The Gemara expresses the view that Moshe is aware how difficult a task this is for the ordinary man, and therefore there's nothing that he, Hashem, treasures as much as a human being's fear of him. Remember, we're capable of so much. Remember, we are created in his image. We've got the goods. The Torah Tamima then asks, shouldn't have Moshe realized this? That, that what was maybe for him a small matter, nothing. What do we say, Amir Bagatel? For everyone else could be extreme, spiritually demanding? The Torah Tamima actually answers its own question. It cites the phrase, for the man Moshe was very unassuming. Again, the modesty, the tsanua, the inbred ahava love for his fellow Jews. He was therefore not conscious of his own superiority. The approach taken by Rav Yosef Albo in the Sefer HaIkarim, uh, Ikar, Ikar, um, the points, the basis, the fundamentals, different differs from the above. By taking the phrase, Ki'im, if only, and attaching it to the beginning um, of verse 13, the one that comes right after, the meaning of the passage, fear and love, which God knows would be difficult. God merely asks that we observe his mitzvot. And by doing so, we will eventually attain the highest levels of awe. 
and love. You know, a final note regarding the phrase, Latov Lach, for your good, at the end of verse 13. You know, this teaches us, according to Rashi, that it is man, not God, who benefits from keeping the commandments. We talk about that all the time. Does God need my blessing on an apple? The apple will be most likely on that tree. If I grab it and down it, it is me that needs to bless because I need to fulfill my so simple, so basic connectedness to being part of God, being created in his image, and indeed having his breath within my being. God does not require anything from us for his sake, but only for our own good. With the observance of mitzvot, the commandments, the laws, leading to both fear and awe of God, may these blessings that are enumerated in the second paragraph of the Shema Yisrael come to pass. Before we go today, when we talk about our Shabbat tables coming up, I want to share what's going to be at my Torah from the Torah to your table, and you should also have these discussions, perhaps. The same idea above, the idea of love and awe and fear, Rabbi um, Yisrael Meir HaKohen, who was the Chofetz Chaim, okay? Guard your tongue. He said, and I quote the Chofetz Chaim, he who believes will not be troubled by doubts. And as for him who does not believe, explanations will be of no avail. We have an opportunity to work on our emunah, to physicalize our belief if the internal and the spirituality only comes later on to involve ourselves, to jump feet first or head first into the observing of the 613 commandments. And believe me, faith will follow. My name is Andrea Simintov. Shabbat Shalom Umivorach from Jerusalem. <laughs>